How do you folks? It's Tuesday the 20th of October and wherever you are, the Lord be with you. My name is James Taylor and I'm the curate in the central hub of Church Wigan. We are continuing our series of daily reflections entitled Saints and Sinners and today I'm reflecting on the life of Jomo Kenyatta who was the first president of Kenya after it gained its independence. Today is Mahuja Day in Kenya where they mark the life of this founding father and other key figures of the independence movement. The passage of scripture I have chosen to accompany this reflection is the Old Testament reading from morning prayer. 2 Kings chapter 18 verses 13 to the end. I will focus especially on verses 28 to 32 and I'm using the NRSVA translation. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. And each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a new land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I begin the reflection, I want to flag a couple of things. Jomo Kenyatta is known as an anti-colonial activist. He fought against the oppression himself and the Kenyan people went through when Britain ruled the nation as a colony. Now, I am neither Kenyan nor have I ever been oppressed due to my nationality. My life ultimately is comfortable and I am afforded certain privileges due to my job and nationality, whether I like it or not. As such, this reflection will be somewhat flawed on some level, and I urge you to go and do your own research on the effects of colonialism, both in the time of Jomo Kenyatta to the present day. Kenyatta was born in Ikaweri, Kenya in 1894. He first encountered Europeans at the age of 10, when he was treated for jigger infections in his legs and feet at a Church of Scotland mission. This encounter with Europeans fascinated the young boy. He ran away from home to join the mission and was schooled there in the Bible, mathematics, English and carpentry. He paid his fees by working as a cook and a houseboy for a European settler. Kenyatta was baptised in 1914 and was given the Western name Jonathan. He eventually found himself in Nairobi. He started a family and became part of numerous protest movements against white-majority colonial rule. At this time, native Kenyans often lived in reservations, whereas leases on land were given to white settlers. Kenyatta continued to advocate for native Kenyans by publishing newspapers in the Kikuyu language, the Kikuyu being the largest ethnic group in Kenya. There were proposals as well in the late 1920s to merge Kenya, Uganda and Tagakanika, which would have insensitively and further diluted any semblance of local cultural identity. Kenyatta travelled to London to appeal in person against the Union, citing provision for education, African representation in legislative council 
and non-interference with traditional customs as key points for reform. After travelling Europe and spending time at university in Moscow, Kenyatta found himself back in Kenya in 1946. He took the leadership of the new Kenya-African Union, but in 1952 he was arrested by British authorities as they believed Kenyatta had a hand in the Mau Mau Rebellion of 1952 against European settlers. Despite pleas of innocence, he was imprisoned in 1953 for seven years. Kenyatta remained detained beyond his initial sentence, though he showed compassion and forgiveness on his captors by saying in 1960 that Europeans would find a place in the future Kenya, provided they took their place as ordinary citizens. Kenyatta was released in 1961 and then elected Prime Minister in 1963, once Kenya gained independence from Britain, and then President a year later. During his presidency, Kenya saw great economic growth, which benefited large swathes of people. Simultaneously, the disparity between the richest and the poorest grew. Many of Kenyatta's family and associates gained much from this economic boost. Despite this, living standards in Kenya did rise greatly. After successive heart attacks and strokes, Jomo Kenyatta died in 1978 while still in office. His legacy cemented, Kenyatta became known in Kenya as the father of the nation. In 2013, Kenya's Truth, Justice and Reconciliation Commission accused Kenyatta in the report of unfair dealings when it came to allocating land. This caused tensions with local tribal groups. However, Kenyatta's desire for good education and health and his success in dismantling colonial structures of segregation particularly in public places such as schools and social clubs, will be what he is most remembered for. Kenyatta's relationship with God was varied to say the least. His education and medical care as a young boy came from missionary workers and he had desired then to join in with that church culture. However, throughout his life, Kenyatta came up against the church, notably in the 1920s when he was barred for receiving Holy Communion, due to a perceived drink problem and relations with another woman out of wedlock. When Kenyatta did come to eventually marry his second wife, the church said that a traditional Kikuyu wedding would be inadequate and was forced to have a Christian ceremony. In 1930, Kenyatta was expelled from the Church of Scotland in Kenya due to disagreements on how to educate people about the practice of FGM. Kenyatta is also quoted saying with regard to missionary work, when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how to pray with our eyes closed. When we opened them, they had the land and we had the Bible. The implication being that British missionaries had used Christianity as a means to seize land, resources and political power. Despite these difficulties and strained relationship with the church, Kenyatta did have a full state funeral at St Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Mombasa in 1978. How does Kenyatta's life and our reading from Two Kings link though? Well, the kingdom of Judah was under siege from the Assyrians. The commander of the Assyrian army makes grand statements about the people of Jerusalem and Judah being able to eat fruit of their own vine, that they will be taken to a land where they can drink new wine, bread and have an abundance of olives and honey on the proviso, King Hezekiah, 
and the nations surrender to the Assyrians. In the passage, the Assyrians are clearly portrayed as the villains. If it were a film, this would be the point where you'd be shouting at the telly to the people of Judah, don't do it, they're going to sell you down the river. Perhaps it's just me, but I hope and pray that our ancestors and family of faith who have gone before us when they went to mission on to Kenya and across the globe in the late 19th and early 20th centuries didn't have an Assyrian-like attitude, using the Bible as a tool for bribery and personal gain rather than a means to share the love of God through the life and teachings of Jesus. Vincent Donovan, in his seminal work, Christianity Rediscovered, an epistle to the Maasai, talks about how he saw common links between the culture of his home of the USA and the customs and traditions of the Maasai. It was these common cultural points which he used to tell the gospel story. Donovan spent time in in the different culture, immersed himself in it and complemented it with the Christian faith, rather than going into a new place and uprooting a people and their whole way of life. For those of us who engage in mission and outreach in Wigan and beyond, I believe we need to follow Donovan's model of mission and heed the warning of Jomo Kenyatta to not use our faith as a means to grab power. Where we as Christians or our predecessors have done this in the past, we need to seek forgiveness and work at reconciliation. We then need to join in with what God is already doing in the lives of the people and the communities we go to. We can then discern and challenge appropriately so that all may know the love of God in their lives. Let's end our time together by praying the reconciliation liturgy from Coventry Cathedral. I'll say a line, leave a gap and you can respond with Father forgive. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The hatred which divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class. Father, forgive. The covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own. Father, forgive. The greed which exploits the work of human hands and lays waste the earth. Father, forgive. Our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. Father, forgive. Our indifference to the plight of the imprisoned, the homeless, the refugee. Father, forgive. The lust which dishonours the bodies of men, women and children. Father, forgive. The pride which leads us to trust in ourselves and not in God. Father, forgive. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Thank you for joining me today, folks. Please go well and know God's presence in your life.